Today we'll be looking at a few verses from the book of Philippians. It's on page, uh, well, let me see where it is. Philippians chapter 2 is page 980 in these Bibles in the pews. Philippians chapter 2. This is where the Apostle Paul takes the, uh, the, the Jesus becoming a man, the incarnation, and he kind of moves the camera behind the scenes. And not going to focus, he doesn't focus here on the, the manger and so forth, but on the very idea of God becoming man. So here in Philippians chapter 2, he begins by talking about the need to have unity in the church, this church at the uh, Roman city of Philippi. And yet he quickly moves to talk about Christ because to have unity, you have to have humility. And our primary example of humility is Jesus Christ himself. Hear God's word beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Uh, For over 40 years, the television show Family Feud has been airing off and on television. Anyone who has ever watched Family Feud knows that it is a matchup of the brightest academic minds of our day. Seriously, the, the premise is rather simple. Two families compete. And the host, of which there have been several through the years, asked a question that was previously posed through a survey to 100 people. And the the question to that group of 100 might have been, name the hour that you get up on Saturday mornings. And the first contestant to buzz in gives an answer, hoping that that answer would have been the most popular response from those who took the survey. Otherwise, if it's not the most important answer or was not the most prominent answer, the opponent then responds and the family member providing the higher ranked answer wins. So I'd like to pretend for a moment we're going to do a one round of, of family feud. Don't answer out loud and there will be no buzzers. But if you were to name words associated with the first Christmas. Manger, joy, peace, uh, Bethlehem, angels. 
Now, what Paul focuses on, I don't think any of us would name, but he would have put this the highest, most prominent word, humiliation. I don't know about you, but when I think of the birth of Christ, I rarely think of the word humiliation. And that is primarily what the Apostle Paul focuses on here as he talks about God becoming a man. As I mentioned to you, the opening part of this passage has to do with unity in the church. And he gives the resources that we have as believers to have unity in the church. We'll not spend time on that this morning. But suffice it to say, he concludes that little section through about verse 4 by saying that he's essentially saying proud people cannot be unified because pride brings self-centeredness and it doesn't look out for the interest of others. The only way we can be unified is to have humility. And the only way we have humility is we strive after it as we see it modeled in Christ. So let's look at how Jesus modeled or exemplified humility. The only way you and I can pursue humility is to look to Jesus. And the only way we ever have humility is we, we pursue it. None of us can say, I've arrived at, at being a humble person. It's, it's something we pursue. It, it goes against our nature. And so we look to Jesus. And what do we see here in this passage that the Apostle Paul tells us about Jesus? Well, we see that he chose. He chose to humble himself in verses 6 and 7, though I just read it. He said, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So he chose to humble himself, to become a man. When it says he existed in the form of God, it doesn't mean it was like a, a puppet of God or something like that. It means he was, he was truly God in his innermost being. He was God himself. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was God and the, the Word was with God. Now, I use the term Jesus in his pre-incarnate state that he was the son, the second person of the Trinity. He was not called Jesus, but I'm using that because I think that's the way we understand. He was given the name Jesus upon his birth. So he, in that, in that being, in essence, God, he did not view it, Paul says, as a thing to be grasped, as a thing to be held onto or to cling to, but he emptied himself. Have you ever known someone or perhaps been someone who held on to something that, that was really destructive and harmful to you, but you could not let it go? You felt you couldn't let it go? Maybe it was some form of addiction. Maybe it was a habit that, that was damaging to you and others, and yet you just said, I, I, I can't let it go. Maybe it was an abusive relationship. Young people do this often. They'll stay in a relationship that's just harmful for everybody involved. And yet it's like, I, I can't let go of it. And you would say, why? Well, fear. What will life be like if I don't have that? Or, or I, I, love, I, I love this and I have to keep doing it. So they hold on to something. They will not let go. What Paul says is Christ did not cling to. He let go of that state of which he was in before the incarnation. So no one is more humble than Jesus. I read part of, of verses 5 and following, but then when he says in verse 7, being born in the likeness of men, 
No one is more humble than Jesus, and he demonstrated that at the Incarnation. The Incarnation means God himself taking human form. Men, for some reason, like to cook chili. And the smart ones of us go to the grocery store and get it in cans, and the selection is amazing. But do you know where the word incarnation comes from? Guys, you'll understand this connection. Chili and chili concarna. What's concarna? Speak to me. With meat. With meat. I mean, because chili concarna glorifies God in a way that chili without meat does not. So chili con carne with meat, that's where we get the same word incarnation, that God took upon himself meat, a human body, a body with fingers and toes and arms and legs that could get tired, that could get hurt, that needed sleep, a body just like ours. That's the incarnation, and that was Jesus humbling himself. He chose humility. Paul is saying that the incarnation demonstrates that Jesus is the most humble person who ever lived. We find also that he gave up his riches. Now, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We don't have time to turn there, but we're instructed, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through your poverty his poverty, you might become rich. Have you ever had a change in your financial situation where, you, where it affected your lifestyle or it should have affected your standard of living, perhaps loss of a job? Uh, I had a friend, or I have a friend, and he years ago was given notice that he was going to lose his job, but they paid him for a year. They gave him severance for a year, which, which was a good move in the particular job he had. And I went to visit him uh, up in Atlanta at the time, and he basically was telling me all the ways during this season they had cut their expenses, canceled, you know, monthly expenses of subscriptions or cable or anything. They had cut everything. And I remember him saying, until you have to do it, you won't do it. Now, for most of us, that's probably true. Until you're forced to do it, we won't lower ourselves. We won't so to speak, go backwards. I went to college and got a degree, and then I got a master's degree, and then Barbara and I went to serve with uh, our denomination's campus ministry. And the, the salary was, was very, very, very small at that time. And uh, I had, because of finances, I had to sell the old car I had. It, it, it wasn't worth much, and I got a bicycle. I started riding a bicycle, and I'd ride it to the campus. Now, to no one else, to anyone else, they think, well, that's normal. You're serving as a campus minister. You know, bicycle's helpful. But I'm thinking, wait, all that education, you know, undergraduate, graduate, and now I don't have what I had when I, since I've been 16, at least some form of a car. And I found that humbling. I'm not trying to, I'm sure it gains no sympathy. Don't worry, I'm not looking for any sympathy. But it was a going backwards to me. It's like, okay, the further I go in this, the more I'm going backwards from the way that I grew up. Maybe it's beauty. Maybe it's a person trying to remain beautiful like they were in their youth. And though she was a TV star and movie star yesteryear, I read recently where Joan Collins had written, the problem with beauty is that it's like being born rich and then becoming poor. 
as she got older. Jesus' incarnation was a supreme demoting of himself. He became the God-man. Now, in referring to the incarnation of God becoming a man, we're not saying that Jesus ceased to be God when he became a man. Rather, he set aside his divine attributes and he chose not to use them. It doesn't mean he did not possess them. He did not access them. Are y'all with me? This has been one of the most controversial points through all of church history. To what extent could you say he was the God-man? Did he give up his divinity? Here's, here's our understanding of what the Bible teaches. While on the earth, Jesus was still God. He was worshipped as God and accepted worship as God. He declared himself to be God. He forgave sins of others, which only God can do. So he was God, even when he walked on the earth. But God does not grow and change, so Jesus set aside his divine attribute that we call immutability. Immutability means that you don't change. But he set that aside. He did not access that so that he could grow. He went from a, little, a baby to a little boy to a teenager to a man. So he set that aside. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Jesus set aside that attribute, and he had to learn to talk, to read, to write, just like we do. Jesus humbly lived a fully human life while still being God, still having the right to be worshipped as God, yet without sin. Now, that doesn't mean that he lost anything when he became a human being. Augustine, the church father from centuries ago, said that he maintained his deity, his divinity, and he added to it becoming a human being. In 451 AD, the Christian Council of Chalcedon met, and they pronounced a creed which says that Jesus was fully God, fully man. We still use that terminology today. Fully God and fully man. And it's referred to as the hypostatic union. Hypostatic means the substance or essential nature of an individual. They were saying the hypostatic union is he's fully God and fully man. And heresy typically falls off on one end of that. Either, well, he was all God and not man at all. He's just kind of a spirit, or he was all man and not God at all. But he's Emmanuel, God with us. And then his death on the cross, as Paul says, was the most humble act in history. So here's my summary of this. Here is Jesus, the sovereign Lord of the universe. He speaks the universe into existence out of nothing. Then he chooses, he's God, he chooses to become a man, not just any man. He was not born as a king with all authority and power and influence and, and so forth, but he chose to become a servant. He chose to be born in a manger to a poor family in a small place. Then he chooses to be a servant, and not just any servant, not serving in a palace surrounded with comforts and able to partake of those comforts, but a bondservant, the lowest type of servant. And then he dies a death, and not just any death. Some deaths are better than others. Some are abrupt and violent or painful, and others are surrounded by family and friends and loved ones who pray for you and care for you. But he dies a death at a young age 
relatively speaking, being shouted cursed at, shouting profanity and being cursed at by those who are, are murdering him. And so he dies the worst kind of death possible. So he who was here chose to be here. And Paul in this passage is, is saying, we who are here, we often want ourselves here where he was. So Jesus is the supreme example of humility. Now, it doesn't end there. In the last couple of moments we have, he moves in verses 9 through 11 to the exaltation of Jesus. That's how he humbled himself at the humiliation. He humbled himself, but after the humiliation, God exalted him. Today, right now, if we could peel back and see into heaven, and I mentioned this at the first service, and it seemed to be the only thing that anybody listened to, it's a, it's a, I believe heaven is another dimension. It's not a location out past Jupiter. But in the New Testament, you have examples where it said Jesus appeared out of heaven, and he was right there in a room with the door locked, and he appears to the disciples in the upper room. So that's a whole other subject. I thought I'd put it in. But if we could peel it back right now and see Jesus at this moment, we would see that he is worshipped, that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, that he is ruling over angels and demons and, and men and women and young and old and rich and poor and powerful and weak, and we would see him in his exalted state, how he has exalted him. And then verse 10 says, Every knee will bow. At, his, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In Paul's day, the greatest name in most of the world was Nero. He ruled the greatest empire on the planet at that time, Philippi, to whom he's writing, named after the uncle of Alexander the Great, Philip, it was a Roman city. And it had its practices of bowing to Nero at the name of Nero. They would declare him to be Lord and Savior at every public event, sporting events, political events. They would bend the knee and they would declare Nero's name is Lord and Savior. But Paul is saying there's a name above Nero's name. There's a name above every name and the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So the question is not if that will happen, if you and I will bow the knee and confess him to be Lord. It's just a question of when. And will we do it to our condemnation or will we do it out of worship because we trusted him as our Redeemer? One more television illustration. I'm sticking two in one sermon. If I were to get a third, it'd be a hat trick all in one day, but anyway. From 2004 until 2010, perhaps the most popular television series was the series Lost. And if you watched any of those episodes, you know it followed the lives of these people who were on a plane crash and on this mysterious tropical island. By the fourth season, the the show began to lose popularity. The viewership began to diminish. And the reason was that people said it's gotten too complex and there are too many storylines that are going unresolved. And it was so complicated that people said, I don't want to watch it anymore. So the producers did something that no one had done up to that point with a very successful money-making series. They announced, we're going to end it. We're going to go two more seasons and then we're bringing this to an end. It doesn't matter how many people are watching it by that end of that season. It's ending. 
Well, once people heard that, oh, they're going to, they're going to wrap it up. We're going to resolve all these issues, which it didn't, but they were going to resolve all these. And so guess what happened? The viewership went back up again. Only because people knew there was going to be a conclusion. History is moving toward a conclusion. And this is it. The conclusion is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Here's the bottom line. Your name doesn't really mean much. My name doesn't mean much. Our church name doesn't mean much. But the name of Jesus, that matters. Because Jesus is God and loving and humble. I was reading from Matthew chapter 2 yesterday and I was looking at the, um, the birth account and the wise men coming to the, to the house by that time. So it's not to the manger, it's to the house. And time has passed from the actual birth when they arrive. So they come into the house and they see the child, Jesus, and Mary, his mother. And you know what it says they do? They bow down. They bow down before him. Through the Gospels, we have numerous accounts of people bowing. Thomas bows down after the, you know, he appears in the upper room with the holes in his hands and the hole in his side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. When he, when he appears after his, ascent, after his resurrection to Peter and the others as they've been fishing all night, and Peter swims to the shore and he, he, he bows down. He says, I, I am a, I'm a sinful man. Uh, it, but he worshiped him. There are many accounts of that but nothing like what's coming. So he received worship with people bowing down while he was a man, but he will receive it from everyone at the end of time. Let's pray together. Our Father, we give you thanks that history is moving in a direction. When we look at day-by-day events, it looks capricious, it looks disastrous at times, or it looks insignificant at times. And yet things are moving toward an end that you already have planned out. We thank you for the humility of Christ, that that is our only way to be redeemed. The ultimate unselfish act of becoming a man. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I wondered where y'all went. I glanced over and it was all, I didn't know if y'all, I didn't know if I was going to be singing solo up here for the last thing. Uh, Please stand, if you will, for our closing benediction and then remain standing as we sing, Good Christian Men, Rejoice. We depart with God's blessing. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Good Christian men, rejoice with heart and soul.